What does true wellness mean to you? I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. This week on the Minding Wellness Podcast, I truly am so excited to bring you Michelle Thorne. She is a provocative podcast host, food lover, food slayer, and former executive raw food chef. She is a permaculture farmer providing clean, healthy food for her community. She's also a food truther, having penned her first book, Adding Raw is Easy in 2014, which can be found on the podcast website, Food Slain. In her podcast, she digs deep into our dirty food supply chain, investigating food ingredients and talking about chemicals and additives that are compromising our health and our environment. She also informs her listeners about the impact and influence that food monopolies, government fraud and collusion have on our economy. She really is passionate about helping us all find clean, honest, and healthy food. And in this episode, we dive into some of the very basics and her insights into organic, GMO, and just overall acknowledging and validating that sourcing of food is important. And she gives tangible advice on how to do that in an easy way. I encourage you to listen with an open mind. I know it gets super overwhelming hearing a large mass of advice on food, what we should eat, what we shouldn't eat. Michelle really just digs into the basics to help us understand that eating honest, clean, and healthy food is possible, and it doesn't have to be hard. And if you stay till the end, you might even find a freebie that she's giving to five of our listeners. So I hope you listen all the way and enjoy. Okay, so excited for this topic today. And I don't know if that means uh, I, I have definitely turned a corner in my life that this is exciting to me, but it really is exciting to me. And I hope that it's eye opening to all of you. I'm so excited to have Michelle Thorne on today to talk about our food supply. And again, if that if, if you're already tuning out because you're like, what? Please stay tuned because this is going to be really interesting, enlightening, super insightful. So thank you so much for coming on today, Michelle. Thanks for having me, Claudia. I'm very excited to be here. Absolutely. I'm so excited to have you. Let's go ahead and start before we get into the goods with what does true wellness mean to you? So to me, I think true wellness is very individual. You know, it, I, I started my kind of food career as a chef and that kind of came out of my you know, some personal experiences to be healthier and really understand the impact that food has on our health and our environment. And I think what I learned through that process was that, you know, every health challenge or every kind of phase that we go through in lives, in our lives, in whatever age that we are, and we want to do something healthier, there is no Band-Aid approach. There's no one-size-fits-all. It's a very customized kind of approach, and it's very individual. And so I think, you know, 
true wellness is, is very personal. It's a personal journey. It's something that is so multifaceted. It kind of requires, you know, I hear you talk about a lot on your podcast about mindfulness and being mindful and tuning, tuning into oneself. And I think that is so spot on. It really is, you know, something that I think we all need to pay attention to. But of course, we all need to, you know, stay informed about the foods that we're consuming, which is kind of what I have been diving into for many, many years. So that would be my kind of answer to that. Mm, love that. Definitely love the emphasis on it being personal and very individualized, which is, is so true. And we really have to dive deeper internally to find what that means for us. And that does mean sometimes often tuning out the external noise of what everybody else is saying. So I think that that's a really important point. All right. I'm excited to dive into your backstory of you know, how you got into food being a focus in your life and why and how you're so passionate now about talking about the food supply chain. Well, it started for me, and it's funny because I was, I was recording an episode for my podcast, which I'm releasing tomorrow on turkeys. And I, I, I'm telling this story in my podcast. I don't want to blow the whole episode because I hope people listen in. But um, my journey kind of started right around this time of year in 1991. And the story kind of that I tell is about my mother calling me and telling me about Thanksgiving dinner and when was I coming and kind of all of this stuff. And I told her that I wasn't coming to dinner and she was so angry with me that year. She was so upset with me because I just wouldn't come to dinner. I didn't, I didn't believe in, in this kind of gorging. And I knew early on in my life that food was problematic. Both of my parents had you know, some health issues when I was a kid. And I just, I just felt it in my soul and in my spirit. And by the time I was an adult, I just started digging. I, I just started digging. I didn't even really know what I was digging for, but I would say, looking back, I was digging for the truth. I wanted to know how food was impacting the people that I loved, you know, their health, how it was impacting my health. You know, I'll, I'll share a little personal thing. I have mitral valve prolapse, which is a heart, you know, condition for lack of a better word. And I was diagnosed with it many, many years ago. And it always really blew my mind. Like, how did I get this thing? You know, how did I, how did I get, how did I get it? How does it even happen? You know, there's no history of heart disease in my family. You know, I wasn't born under circumstances where I would have a heart issue. And it wasn't until I really was digging to figure out food and how the immune system worked and, and all of this stuff that I realized that when I was in high school, I had strep throat. And from having strep throat, that bacteria, and it's, it's common from what I understand and everything that I researched, that bacteria got into my heart, caused an infection and caused the prolapse in the mitral valve, which is irreversible. And um, it was right around that time, you know, after I was healed up from strep throat, it was only about a year or two later that I got diagnosed with mitral valve prolapse. And so 
that really uh, was a marker in my journey with food because there's really no way to um, cure mitral valve prolapse. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just one of those things that you just have to live with and deal with you know, sure, I can exercise and I do and I can eat well and I do, but it's just still one of those things. The, the, the main thing with it is just stress, you know, and so it's about managing my stress and blah, blah, blah. So that's really how I got into it. And with that Thanksgiving and just diving deep and, and you know, going on this individual journey, like I talked about in your first question, just really trying to understand what was happening with my body and with my genetics and with my lifestyle and with my, you know, eating habits and all of that. And it was really quite insightful. And I've just been on that journey for, you know, almost three decades. Wow. So fascinating to me to hear your background, um, you know, because I always wonder, how does somebody get excited about our food supply. I, this is an interesting topic to me, but it's just, it's even more fascinating for me to know how this turned out for you. So take us through, you know, what, what you ended up becoming a chef, right? Yes. I was an executive raw food chef at a vegan restaurant and biodynamic wine bar in New York city. Shout out to New York. That's where I'm born and raised best city in the world, but you know, I'm glad I'm not there right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it was an incredible journey. You know, I, I got really into, I was teaching um, vegetarian cooking at the time. And it was a natural transition, all of my uh, attendees to the classes that I was giving, because I knew that the food was causing a lot of health problems, particularly for uh, people who don't have a lot of money. And, you know, when you don't have access to good food, you see the correlation in preventable diseases like heart disease, uh, you know, diabetes, um, obesity, you name it. And so I was teaching vegetarian cooking. And then I decided at that time, raw food was a really new thing. It wasn't as trendy as it, as it has been but I really got into it because it was just fascinating to me that you could use ingredients in this way and preserve the enzymatic integrity and nutritional density of food. And so I wound up kind of going through this experience where I was apprenticing with, you know, one of a a very uh, well-known raw food chef at the time. And then I got, I worked at a restaurant, became the executive raw food chef, had an incredible experience. I was doing these a la carte menus, raw Tuesdays. I started catering. I started doing juice cleanses for people and clients. And it just kind of took me on this really circuitous journey through food, having been, you know, growing up eating everything to going, you know, way over to the other side to be this raw food chef you know, dabbling in every diet that was around in history and, you know, current day at that time. So, you know, I really um, I've kind of been through the gamut of all of the diets, all of the, you know, I call it propaganda because a lot of it is is just marketing and, you know, it's convincing us that we need to eat this right now because there's, you know, we can get into it. I don't want to kind of take you through 
all of that. But, you know, there's a lot of marketing and pushing behind trends and foods and things. And so my chef career was kind of an anchor for me in that it really introduced me to a lot of ingredients and how to work with those ingredients. And then I went even deeper trying to understand, well, where are my ingredients coming from? Who's growing them? Where are they being produced? What's in them? What's happening? You know, it just, it was just one thing after another, kind of like a domino effect. And that's, you know, just kept going. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's so great because now, I mean, I, I, obviously it happened the way it was supposed to happen. And now you're doing such important work making us all more aware of our food sourcing. I, I want to really start with the absolute basics. We talked about this a little bit before we started. I, I kind of, I told Michelle, we're going to just be really basic here because um, not that I, I, you know, am undermining anybody's understanding of this, but I personally am largely ignorant on this topic. I understand the importance and that's why I asked you to be on obviously, but I also don't know a whole lot of the intricacies of this topic. So we're going to stay pretty basic, but as we will talk at the end of when we talk to Michelle about how you can find her, she does have her own podcast. And so you can certainly, and I encourage you to go deeper with her and specific topics she covers there, but let's just start with sort of absolute basics and let's start with why paying attention to our food supply chain is so important. So why should we even be talking about this topic to begin with? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons. The one most glaring, obvious reason is we can look back at 2020 and we can see that our food supply chain failed all of us in in many ways. And it was quite a timely, you know, circumstance when the coronavirus really started picking up. We saw the impact on our food supply chain and we saw the impact that that had on us as consumers, where we were having food shortages, we were seeing people hoarding food, we were uh, seeing prices rising. The price of food has just exploded this year in so many areas with meat, with dairy, with flour and grains. And so the impact on us economically, I think, is, is really important. And, and on my podcast, I don't just talk about the food supply chain and food from a health perspective. I talk about it from an environmental impact as well as an economic impact because that's just reality. It it impacts us as buyers, as consumers, and the cost of food is is higher than it's been in, in in a while. So I think that's one reason. I think it's also very important for us to understand the impact that our food supply chain and food manufacturing has on our environment and the ecology, our water systems, the air, the soil. It is um, quite broad and quite deep. You know, there are a lot of manufacturers of our food products that we find in the grocery store and even farmers, you know, large farmers, monoculture farmers, you know, being people or farmers that grow one single crop that, you know, the process that they use to grow food impacts the environment positively or negatively and in a lot of cases from my research many of those impacts have been negative and that impacts our health so that brings us full circle to our health and the impact of our food supply chain on our health with additives and preservatives and other chemicals and you name it i mean there's just an undeniable uh impact 
that our food supply chain has on all three of those, you know, levels. And when we start talking about, especially food shortages, you know, globally right now, we're looking at food shortages for a lot of reasons. But what happens when we can't get access to food? We have to eat every day. And so, you know, one thing that I'm really uh, extremely passionate about and I emphasize and I do myself is I buy locally. I shop locally. I meet the people that I try to get my food from. And it's not ideal for everybody. Everybody can't do that. But I think the more that we can do it with the little things, with one thing, if we do one thing, we can change the marketplace. We can create the demand for better food, cleaner food, local food, you know, and put the pressure on some of the food that's so far away from our plates, you know, that we're importing, that has no oversight, that is toxic, that, you know, all these, I can, you know, rattle it off for 10 minutes what the problems are. And even, you know, some of the corporate monopolies and collusion and things like that, you know, we can, we can control that. And I really hope that your listeners get inspired by that is that we can do something about it, even though it might seem overwhelming. We have the power because we can vote with our dollars. So powerful, really a lot of insights already that I hadn't necessarily thought of and how it you know, really does come full circle. And I also love it just being a very practical and doable, like maybe let's just start with one thing, you know, because it, it can be overwhelming for somebody who this topic is very new to, which, which may be a good percentage of my listeners. So I, I appreciate you, you making it doable in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming. So let's then move on to the basics of who is protecting us. You know, I think of the FDA, I mean, you know, I'm a pharmacist by profession, so it's like the FDA to me has always been the drug part, the D, right? You know, like I forget that it's actually the Food and Drug Administration. So can you talk a little bit about who in this country is protecting us and what role the government plays with regard and doesn't play uh, in regard to our food supply? That's an interesting question. I don't know if you're going to want to hear my answer. <laughs> Ignorance um, isn't bliss. Let, let us <laughs> tell us all the, all the good and bad. <laughs> you know, I think, again, I have to say that we have to protect ourselves. We, we put a lot of trust in food manufacturers. We put a lot of trust in government and regulations. We put uh, a lot of trust in our elected officials. And unfortunately, um, all, all three of those units, the, the, the manufacturers, the government oversight, and you know, politicians, they all play a role in our food supply chain. And it's often not to our benefit. It's not in our best interest as consumers, as people who want to uh, have access to clean food or consume clean food, you know, because there is of course, there are, there are good things that are happening. There are um, really good, you know, because there are people who care about this stuff that are pushing for positive legislation and, and helping, you know, have the proper oversight of our food products. And so I don't want to minimize that effort because that is really, really important. And kudos to those people. And we have to support those companies and, and usually they're nonprofit, non-governmental organizations that are pushing for that work. 
you know, to keep people informed and to push legislation and to expose the, you know, the collusion and the, the, the bribery and all the kind of stuff that's happening behind the, the curtain. And so um, who's protecting us? You know, some of these organizations are doing the work, but we have to do the work individually and we have to protect ourselves. So we have to stay informed and we have to talk to each other and we have to take these companies to task, do the research, ask them questions, you know, talk about it with each other and really force, um, you know, because corrective behavior happens with incentive. If people stop buying their products because corporations start because they want to make money, that's the only reason why anybody starts a business because they want to make money. Nobody wants to go into business to be bankrupt. They want to make money. So if they can make money in an industry or with a product because, you know, we say we want it or there's a trend, we don't even know we want it, but they convince us that we want it. We spend our money with these companies then it is our job to take them to task. It is our job to keep them in, in line with our best interest. And if the money's not there, if we don't spend our money there, they'll follow the money. And they have over time, you know, as consumers, we can say, hey, we want organics. Look what happened to the organic industry when the demand became such that companies couldn't ignore it anymore. But, you know, now it's kind of become a little bit, I don't know, unreliable. You know, there are still good people doing good stuff in, in the organic market. But there's a lot of people who are getting over, you know. So we have to take people to task. And it has to be not just an individual kind of um, thing that we do, but we can collectively, you know, come together and talk. We've got social media now. We've got blogs, we've got videos, we've got the power. We have the power because we have the money. If we spend the money with them, they're going to chase the money. It's just how it works. Mm -hmm. So important. And I, I wanted to ask that because I, I assumed it was going to be bad news, but um, I, I think it's important that it's it's not necessarily bad news. It's just news. We assign bad to it, right? I mean, really, if you're saying that the power is back in our hands and that doesn't have to be bad news. It just means that we can't be ignorant in our day-to-day -day lives and assume that our government or other officials are watching over the food that arrives on our plate that we have to be more involved in that process and so i don't necessarily um you know i think we can we can we can agree that that is not necessarily a bad thing it's just it sounds bad because it's one more thing for us to think about but i mean we eat three times a day you know and so um it's something that we should pay, we should pay attention to so okay let's go to the basics of our food supply we go to the grocery store you know i'm not talking about local farmers markets or or the local the local options but you know we go to our big box store maybe a, a walmart or a target with a supermarket or our local supermarket where is the majority of that food coming from? So most of us just, we just go there and shop and don't even think about this, but what, what is it that we don't know? There's so <laughs> much, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> what, it's probably what do we know is a much shorter list, I'm sure, but uh, highlight a few things. <laughs> so, you know, there are thousands, thousands of products in your typical grocery store. Most grocery stores are 10,000 square feet minimum. 
you know, there's big box stores like the Walmarts, the Costco's, the, you know, the big, the big, the big ones, right? The membership stores, whatever. And, you know, it is, that's a big arena when you start asking about where is the food coming from? And, you know, that's part of the reason I'm motivated to do what I'm doing. You know, I've done several episodes just looking into that question alone. Where is it coming from? And, you know, I've done several episodes specifically on avocados, specifically on quinoa, you know, and and looking into where, you know, if I go into a Costco and I want to buy a five-pound bag of organic quinoa, the Kirkland brand, right? And bring that home and I, I feel good about my purchase because it's organic. But then I look on the back of the label or of the package and it says product of Bolivia. And that, that is just Pandora's box. That, that's the opening for me. Okay, well, why is it coming from Bolivia? Is there a quinoa market in the United States? Well, what's happening in Bolivia and why... Why is, it, why is it so easy for us to get quinoa in Bolivia? And the truth in the matter in that particular um, grain is it's not pretty. <laughs> and I, I'll spare you the details, but it has a huge impact on the local people of Bolivia. So much so that it is causing human death. It is causing contamination of the environment. It is causing so many other externalities that we don't see that are not built into that price that we pay for that five pound bag of quinoa, right? But, you know, there's, there's a mismatch there because in this country, we want access to everything all the time, every season, right? So, so the food producers and food manufacturers are willing to provide that to us because that's what we want as consumers. But they also want to make money. And when you're talking about business, you want your cost of goods to be really low so that you can get a nice profit margin out of it. Never mind what happens to the people on the ground or the people who are handling the crops or the people who are growing the crops or what's happening to the land where the crops are grown. And so it, you know, where is our food coming from? It's coming from all over the world. It, you know, it just is. And a lot of the regulations, you know, some of the packaging regulations, you know, some of them require a country of origin labeling, but some of them don't, you know, and I did an episode on honey <laughs> and, you know, that really highlighted some of the failings in our country of origin labeling laws, because we don't know where it's coming from. And as consumers, we have every right to know where it's coming from. We just do. So that, that's a loaded question. And it's really difficult to answer because we import millions, millions and millions of dollars of food every year into this country. Really interesting because I, I too have glanced at labels before and have seen, you know, it came from XYZ country. And, but I, I have no knowledge of 
we certainly can research like you did. And that's, I think that's the point here is to, to be more knowledgeable. But I didn't really go further than that. Just thought, oh, that's interesting that that's from wherever. I don't know why that is. But, but then I think about, okay, we could, we could look at that and we could do the research on those. What about the produce? What, what about the individual tomatoes or individual cucumbers? Some cucumbers are, you know, packaged and labeled, but, but what about the produce? What should be our assumption about where that's coming from? You know, again, that's that's also very tricky. I think that um, everything that I've researched, I mean, a lot of our produce also comes from all of the United States, but also from other countries, things that, you know, we want tomatoes in the middle of winter. Where are they coming from? They're coming from Mexico. They're coming from Central and South America. They're coming from I mean, who knows where, Canada sometimes, you know, because that's what we want as consumers. We want to be able to make a sandwich, a turkey sandwich in the middle of winter with a tomato on it when the season for tomatoes is in the summer, right? And so we, we want these things and we create the demand for them. And so our, you know, the companies that are, that are, importing foods and selling them to us at the grocery store, fresh or packaged, you know, they're just trying to fill the need, right? They're just trying to do their job. Mm -hmm. And I think the best defense when it comes to fresh food is, you know, there's two things you can do. You can ask your grocer, you can ask the person who is the buyer at your local grocery store and ask them, hey, where's this cauliflower coming from? Do you know if it was grown in the United States or or where, what state it came from? Was it local here or did it come from California? Did it come from this state? Whatever. You know, if you're, um, you know, shopping at the farmer's market, that I think is one of the best cures to that problem because most of that food is local. It's within a 30 to 50, you know, mile region from where you grow. And that's some of the best, you know, food that you can get, you know, locally. Um, when you start talking about frozen foods and, you know, meats and, and things of that nature, that's where it gets a little, a little murky in my experience, you know, because we do import a lot of food from a lot of countries where there is no oversight or regulation, and we, we can't do anything about it. Mm. We just have to take them at their word, which oftentimes is not worth the paper it's printed on. Yeah, it makes me think of a, a small grocery store that I used to go to in Bellingham, Washington, that used to actually label everything. Every every produce item had the label of where it was from. And I thought that was such a foreign concept. Like I was so confused. I'd never seen that before. And I just think about how great that is now that that was, there was so much transparency with that. And I have yet to see that happen again. So, all right, yeah. let's, we're going to get, I'm sure people are probably thinking, okay, so now I'm completely depressed. I don't know. I don't know where, I don't even want to eat dinner tonight. No, uh, we're going to get, I promise we will get to the, uh, some of your tips. So we will get to some of your tips before we go to that. I would love to just um, hear your insights into the concept of organic, what you know that to mean, and maybe maybe some of the misconceptions of what that actually doesn't mean. So typically organic food, organic produce specifically means that it was grown without chemical, um, without chemicals, whether it's pesticides or herbicides. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that it, it's not using like fertilizers and 
other, say, um, permissible products to help control, you know, pest problems. But by, you know, in the regulations, they're not supposed to be using chemical fertilizers and chemical pesticides. And so for the most part, you can count on if it's certified organic, then you can count on it pretty much being chemical free from that perspective, right? So if you're going to buy an organic bunch of kale, then you can pretty much rely on it not having been sprayed with any chemicals, right? If you're buying conventional kale, I can't promise you that it hasn't. It just depends on the grower, blah, blah, blah. Um, when it comes to packaged foods, it gets a little cloudy because with packaged foods, there's only a percentage that it has to be organic. It doesn't have to be 100% organic to be called or labeled organic. So, you know, you can look at the ingredients panel and you can see what the ingredients are that are organic. So companies that sell organic or USDA certified organic foods have to include in the label that, you know, this ingredient is organic, this ingredient is organic, this ingredient is organic, but there may be some ingredients at the bottom of the label that don't, that are not noted as organic. And it's those ingredients that, you know, make up a small percentage, but they're in there. And oftentimes, not often, let me just say, they could be byproducts of, say, corn and soy, which we know are genetically modified. And there's a lot of byproducts from those two uh, crops, you know, everything from oils to flavorings to, you know, you name it. Um, so, you know, it, it's prudent for us to read our labels and support the companies that are committed to using good ingredients. And, and I, I, I understand the, there's a conundrum here, right? Because organic, when he, anytime you buy something organic, it's, it's costing you more. There's a, there's a, there's a higher cost to buy organic food and not everybody can afford to buy organic everything which is why i i recommend that if if cost is the issue then there's one of two things you can do you can again you can buy locally you can talk to the local manufacturer the local producer the local grower your local farmer and figure out what their best practices are and you can make an informed decision on whether you want to support them or not the other thing you can do is you know buy less but pay more. And I know that that is a really tricky thing because we, we like abundance in the United States. We like to eat a lot. We like to have more than we need, but we also want to have clean food and, and food that's healthy for us. And a lot of times that clean, healthy food is just more expensive. It's at a higher price point because it takes a lot of work to produce clean, healthy food and get it to market when you don't have the benefit of economies of scale, like a lot of these huge, you know, monopolies and food monopolies, right? So, you know, um, we can buy really good products, but just 
you know, really get laser focused on what's really important to us and, and purchase those products and consume those products and enjoy those products and know the benefit that we're getting from them and, and leave the junk alone, you know, leave the junk on the shelves because it's, 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 in some ways, I think it, it's hurting us economically. You know, if we have access to cheap food, there are so many externalities that cost us in the future, that cost our children in the future, that cost us in healthcare, you know, and healthcare costs and, and all of that. So, you know, we have to be mindful of those things as we're purchasing too. And, you know, that, that's, that's what I would say about organics. We can pretty much trust the organic market, I think, in large part, but we still have to do our due diligence. Really interesting and, and good insights. I'm, I'm wondering before we move on to um, what I, I would like to talk about your thoughts on GMO as well, but before we move on, I know that there is sort of a, I don't know, a, an understanding out there via via the information that we have access to that if you can't afford everything organic, then at least do the dirty dozen or whatever they call it, you know, the, the, the berries. And what are your thoughts on that? Do you agree with that? Um, or do you have a different approach to, uh, you did mention just buying less, which I, I think is also a good insight to have is, you know, maybe we just adjust the, the quantity, but what are your thoughts on sort of the, the dirty dozen? I love it. I love the environmental working group. I love that they, give us that list every year. I think it is quite insightful. And yeah, we should pay attention to the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15, right? We, we can, you know, they've done great work and sure, we should support them. I mean, we, we all have to do what is individually in our best interests, right? We can't overspend on food if we don't have the money to do it. And I don't encourage anybody getting into debt, right, to, to, to eat, but what we can do is we can support local farmers. We can grow our own. You know, if you've got a little backyard or a couple of pots or a windowsill, you don't have to do a lot, but you could probably do a little bit here and there. You know, fruits, for example, or berries in particular, they're perennials. And they'll produce for you for, for, for a decade if you just get a blueberry bush in the ground where you live or a raspberry you know, plant, you know, get it started this year, put an apple tree in your front yard, you know, like we, there's things that we can do to, to, to uh, provide our families with clean, fresh food. And if we have access to those things by say growing our own or partnering with neighbors, you know, joining a, um, a, a, a local kind of garden project in your community, or even, um, buying food shares like community supported agriculture groups where those are kind of like crowdfunded, you know, local agriculture uh, opportunities for us to, to get access to clean meat, clean dairy, clean vegetables. So we can do what we can do and we shouldn't do more than we can bear, right? Because that just causes other problems. It's stress and frustration and money problems and kind of all of this stuff. But if, like I said in the beginning, if we can do one thing, you know, we can make a difference. If we can plant that blueberry bush, you know, your kids will love that. They'll love to go out there one, you know, spring and see the big blueberries getting ripe and, you know, pick them off and eat them fresh off the bush. I mean, it's incredible. You know, they'll, they'll get into it, you know, 
partner with your neighbors. Back in the, in the Great Depression times, people would partner with their neighbors and grow victory gardens right in their front lawn. You know, so there's things that we can do. All is not lost. And I encourage everybody who's within earshot of this message right now to just do one thing. We're all busy. We all have families. We all work. We have to, right? So that has kind of perpetuated this culture of convenience, which drives us to the Walmarts, drives us to the Costco's because it's just easier. It's simple. It doesn't take as much time. It takes a lot of time to prepare fresh food every day. I get it. But what we can do is we can do little things. We don't have to buy the big, you know, five pound clamshell of blueberries from Costco or Walmart for $3.99 when we can buy a plant for 10 bucks, you know, in the fall or in the spring, get it in the ground, get it, you know, maturing and produce your own blueberries, right? There's, there's one thing we can do. We can grow our own herbs. We can, you know, like I said, just join a CSA, go to the farmer's market. I mean, there's so many, so many other options that are much more fulfilling, safer, cleaner, more fun, kind of put your mind at ease. Just, we just can do one thing at a time, you know, and not get overwhelmed and it's fun. Yeah. I really want a blueberry bush now. (laughs) I really want to, no, I I mean, I really, I had a tower garden for a little bit and I, I just, I loved it. And then I, I don't know what happened. I guess I just stopped. I, I don't know what happened, but I, I remember life happened and I remember the smile on my face when I would harvest all this lettuce. And I, I just, it, it, this is inspiring me to want to get back to that. So I really, I appreciate all the inspiration and, and the fact that, you know, you just, it really isn't that difficult. It's just not necessarily something that a lot of us have been exposed to. You know, I didn't grow up in, in necessarily a family that knew how to do any of this. So I just, you know, lack of exposure, just ignorance. So I, I appreciate this conversation so much. Before we get um, kind of to the wrapping up, what are your thoughts on, GMO, I guess, you know, just to get to the basics of what that means and how we can be more aware of that and if and when we need to be, you know, vigilant about avoiding that. Always. We, we always need to be vigilant when it comes to genetically modified food, in my opinion. Of course, that's just my opinion. Um, I certainly encourage your listeners to, if, if that's something that, they, that is important to them, you know, I encourage you to dig deep. I, I did a couple of episodes on genetically modified foods, food, specifically corn. I, I did an episode on GMO corn and um, gosh, I, I just, I hate being the party pooper, but um, it's, 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 it's a big, um, it's a big thing. It's a big thing. There's, there's a lot of genetically modified food that is sneaking into our food supply. And the, the, the kicker is, is that um, the regulations as they stand right now, food manufacturers, meaning food that is in a package, doesn't necessarily have to indicate an ingredient that's been genetically modified if it's under a certain percentage of the total like food package, right? So you could be getting, say, a box of crackers, for example, 
and it might have a genetic, a GMO-free label on it that says, okay, well, we're not using GMO wheat and we're not using GMO corn and we're not using GMO whatever, but in the ingredients label, it might have canola oil. And that little bit of canola oil might be genetically modified. And so again, it, you know, it's tricky because it is a due diligence kind of thing. If you're really against genetically modified foods, which I am kind of 100% as much as possible that, you know, if I don't have to have it on my plate, I, I will not have it on my plate. And I do everything in my power to avoid it from getting on my plate, but that's virtually impossible because it is, there is this kind of deception that, um, you know, food companies can get away with it. You know, I had a lawyer friend tell me once that it's their job to cheat. It's our job to catch them. They're, they're just going to do it because they can. And if we don't catch them, you know, it'll be there because there's money to be made on genetically modified food more than you know. And if you want to hear the real deep, deep part of that, if you want to go down the rabbit hole on that, you can listen to my episode on corn. And, and I did an interview with um, a scientist, a PhD, and uh, we talked about genetically modified corn and genetics and, and, and how that is impacting our DNA and our gut microbiome and kind of all of these things. And it, it was fascinating. And so you can listen to those two episodes. Um, but it is, it is another rabbit hole and it is kind of a big deal. But if we do the due diligence, we shop locally. Most local farmers don't produce genetically modified food if they don't have to. It's just the facts. So much great information. And I know that it, there's also such a great ample supply of deeper topics on your podcast, which I'm so thankful for. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking of the listener who is uh, thinking, I don't know where to begin with this. I am currently depressed about my entire <laughs> um, kitchen full of foods that I have not really been vigilant about because I didn't know. I understand what you're saying. I want to be more vigilant, but I don't know where to begin. Um, maybe I live in an apartment and I don't feel like I have access to a garden or, you know, all of these, all of these things that seem to be barriers or difficulties in, in doing things as, you know, natural and organic as possible. What are, and I, I know there could be endless, endless ways to approach, um, you know, any individual situation, but what would be sort of the the person who hasn't even begun to, to be cognizant and aware of this, where should that person start? If they're going to take, you know, the next step, the next one individual step, what, what would be your prioritization of that step? I mean, I think the first thing that people can do, and I, and I think you talk about it in your other interviews on your other podcasts with other guests is you talk about the mind, right? And mindfulness and being mindful of one's choices, being mindful, tuning into oneself about what, what you can do and what's possible and why, what's your motivation. If, if we're facing, you know, a health challenge, for example, if somebody's facing a health challenge, that's the motivation right there. It's the mindset that is important to us. And I'm sure we've all heard 
anecdotal stories of people who have been facing incredible health challenges, but because of their mindset, they have reversed you know, their health challenges or healed themselves or, or gotten to a place where it's manageable. And I think the mind and our mindsets, when it comes to food, it's the same thing. We talk ourselves out of doing good things for ourselves all the time. Oh, I can't. Oh, I'm too busy. Oh, I don't really know where to start. Well, every, every triumph begins there, right? Just not knowing. But the key is acknowledging that maybe you don't know what to do, but that you're willing to take the first step. And anybody who's listened to this episode this far is probably willing to take one step today or tomorrow or next week or whenever, after Thanksgiving, after we eat ourselves full. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's one thing that you can do. Uh, you can, I don't know, you can buy a packet of seeds. You know, you can, hey, go to my website, buy a packet of heirloom and organic seeds and start that garden, you know? In fact, I'll do you one, one better. I will offer five of your listeners a packet, a free packet of heirloom uh, organic seeds from the seeds that I harvested this year. All they have to do is sign up for my newsletter and tell me that you sent them and I will send it to them for free. There you go. That's one hurdle down. You've got seeds. You can grow food anywhere, anywhere. You can grow it anywhere, anytime, any place, anyhow, in a pot, on a windowsill, in an apartment. I grew potatoes in a pair of my son's old jeans when he was like eight years old. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew I could do it. And so our mindset is what will either enable us to take that first step forward for ourselves, or it will limit us and hold us back from taking that first step in our best interest. And so if there's one thing that I could encourage you to do is take that first step. Say, yes, I can. I can do it. And, and here's what I'd like to do. I know what my options are. Okay, well, if I can't grow my own food because I'm just so busy or this or that or whatever, I can support a local farmer and go to the farmer's market. If I can't do that, oh, maybe I can find a local CSA in my neighborhood that, uh, you know, I can pick up a box of food once a week and support, you know, the local community. Okay, I can't do that. Okay, I can be a part of a gardening project in the community and I can go and, and do that. You can't do that. Put a blueberry bush or a raspberry bush in your yard this fall and watch it grow and get that joy, that pride that you feel when you pick that first blueberry off of it that gives you this sense of accomplishment, this deep sense of accomplishment because you played a part in producing your own food. It's so fulfilling. It's, it is the therapy that I turn to almost daily to just kind of deal with the world. It's a rough world out there. We're all like fighting our own battles, but you know, food is our greatest dependency and why we should have to consume food that doesn't benefit us is absurd to me. And, and there's so many ways around it. 
And, you know, at the end of the day, we can stop making the excuses, take action today, take action tomorrow, do one little thing for yourself in your mind, remind yourself that it's possible, that you can do it, and how you feel when you eat good, clean food from a trusted supplier, someone you've looked in the eye and you can tell, hey, this person isn't trying to dupe me. They're not lying to me, you know? And I think that is probably the most important thing we can all do. I still have to do it every day, you know? I still, it's, it's an everyday kind of mindful way of living this life that we're in. Mm, thank you so much for that offer for those five people, uh, you know, who maybe didn't know what next step to take and you're just handing it to them, which is so fantastic and so generous of you. And I'm excited for those five people. And if nobody takes you up on that, um, uh, <laughs> you five people better hurry it up because I'm going to take all those five. <laughs> yeah. In fact, it would probably be better, you know, if they do want to sign up for the newsletter, that's optional. They can do that on the website, foodslain.com. I'm just going to throw that little plug in there. And, but they can email me and I will provide you with my email. It's michelle at foodslain.com. Um, yeah. So fantastic. Just so fantastic because I do, I, I mean, it is so mindset. You're right. I mean, and I, and I love that this has come up on pretty much every episode in some way because it truly is although there are steps and there are some logistics to know, a lot of it really is just making this an important part of your life. And there really is no reason it shouldn't be other than we just didn't know until now. And when we know better, we do better. So I appreciate you sharing all of your knowledge. I appreciate you offering this amazing gift to, to five listeners. And I would love for you to share where people can find your podcast and find uh, all of the other resources you provide maybe on your website. Excellent. Thank you so much, Claudia. I'm so excited to be able to share, you know, some of what I do with your audience. And I encourage you to find me on foodslane.com. I'm all over the socials at foodslane on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I have a YouTube channel where I post videos. I try to post once a week ahead of episodes to kind of provide a little bit of a teaser. Um, you know, that that's that's basically you know, on the website, you'll see uh, a tab there called buy something good. And, and right now, the seeds that I'm talking about, I haven't even put them up on the website. And so I would encourage your listeners to email me. And in fact, the, I don't even have an email that's Michelle at Foods Lane. So that was wrong. Let me correct that. It's info at foodslane.com. Info at foodslane.com. That's the best email to send me. Tell me Claudia sent you and I will send you your seeds. There, I have so many seeds from this year, things like pole beans and bush beans and winter squash and summer squash and peppers and herbs and you know, lettuces and salad. I mean, er, you know, my garden was full of seeds this year, and that's the blessing is that I just kind of paid attention to what the garden was telling me and you know, I got a bunch of seeds out of it. So I have plenty to share and I'm happy to share with your audience. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to share this message with your audience. Thank you for inviting me. I would love to have you on my podcast and let my, uh, my audience hear some of the things that you have to say, because I do often talk to 
people in the medical profession and scientists and, and people who have technical expertise about our, our health. And I would love for you to come and visit me on my platform. And you can find Food Slain on any podcast platform on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, uh, Amazon, radio, all of them. So wonderful. I have so appreciated this conversation. And of course, I would be honored to be on your podcast anytime. I love talking, you know, I, I devoted my career to pharmacy, which is, you know, now I'm thinking the title should be from farm, P-H-A-R-M to farm, F-A-R-M to table, <laughs> because I I have come full circle just to realize there there's a time and a place for medications when it's necessary, but we are definitely an over-medicated society and food absolutely is medicine. And that is a whole whole conversation um, that we'll have another time, but I'm just so thankful for you being here and you sharing your insights and being so generous to our listeners and just to the world, because if we, you know, we, it, we all need to share our, our hearts, our passions, our information for the benefit of others. And I am so appreciative that you do just that. And I will have all of that information in the show notes. So if anybody's listening and didn't catch those links, I will have those. And thanks again, Michelle. Thank you so much, Claudia. I'm so excited. I, I can't wait to, uh, to see who wants to cash in on that seed offer. I'm excited. I, I, I love to share. Sharing is caring. And I, I really appreciate your time and the offer to come and visit with your audience. Thank you so much. Wow, you guys, what an amazing episode. I really hope this topic is as interesting to you as it is to me, because ultimately three times a day, we are fueling our bodies and making decisions and those decisions matter. And I think that's what I really want you all to get out of this is knowing that each and every bite matters and the decisions that you make with that matter. So hurry up and email Michelle, get those seeds, start listening to her podcast, start being a little bit more aware day by day and making steps towards mindful, clean eating. Thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on. What a truly inspiring and insightful episode. I'll see you all here again next time. 